Hi, welcome to the Neshamas Podcast. We at Neshamas are on a mission to promote mental and emotional health within our community. Among the many ways we do this is by empowerment through education. This podcast is where we get to listen to personal experiences of those who have been affected by mental illness, the pain, the struggle to get better, and today, by the grace of God, have emerged with a message of hope and healing. My name is Moshe Khanen. I am a grateful addict in recovery, and I am a certified life and addiction recovery coach. I'm here to encourage vulnerability and allow for hope to emerge from the internal journeys we share. Please join me, hear the stories of these heroes, and know that you are not alone. Hi, welcome back to the Nishamas Podcast. Today, we are honored to have Miriam Raquel Feldman visiting us from Chicago, where she and her husband, David, and some of their children live. David is a marriage counselor, and Miriam Raquel is a somatic healer, marriage coach, trauma and anxiety specialist, a writer, and a speaker. Miriam Raquel is here to share what it was like for her going through the ordeal of Panda's disease with her son the fear and confusion, and navigating her relationships with all the differences of opinions revolving around her son's medical treatments. Eventually, Baruch Hashem, their journey led them to a lot of humility and gratitude, a deepening of practices to help the nervous system remain regulated and the mind remain somewhat sane during very trying times. Baruch Hashem, today, they celebrate their son's recovery daily and support others through bringing awareness and resources. Welcome, Miriam. Miriam Thank Markell. you so much. Thank you. And I just want to, um, I say a little uh, intention, affirmation when I'm, when I'm speaking. So I just would like to say, um, my God, may the light of wisdom and healing be available to me and those I'm reaching and touching. And uh, thank you, Moshe, so much for having, having me. And hopefully this um, interview can help others on their healing journey, um, especially with children who might be going through something that looks very strange and appears to be many different things and has um, different sources of healing to it. And I also want to thank Hashem that my son is, um, thank God, doing amazing and healing every day even more and more. So I'm very grateful for that. Hashem. So the first question that I feel like starting off with is, what was like life like before you noticed uh, anything was wrong? Yeah, sure. Just to give us a general picture, and then after that, I'd love to hear how sure. it started. Sure. So, um, you know, uh, my son was in uh, yeshiva and learning, and a very sweet uh, boy on the track of just the regular Hasidish Chabad track of um, from Kite and... Uh, one of the easy ones that I've ever had in terms of children. And things were good. I was, I'm was i a somatic healer, I was doing my training, I did some marriage training, um, intuitive training. Life was good. I was also writing a, um, a book called God Said What, which I did publish. And so things were stable and good. <laughs> and like my duckies were in a row and uh, yeah. Can you share a little bit about What's before that? Because I know that your book talks about your your journey, um, Belch- becoming Belchova yeah. and that. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So, um, I was raised Jewish. My parents are Jewish, and uh, I was raised in in near Muncie, New York, 
And my parents, um, I actually was born in Muncie, but when my parents saw the religious Jews moving in, they moved 10 minutes down the road, which was not far enough, <laughs> in Pomona. And so I was raised in Pomona, and my grandmother always lit Shabbos candles and everything like that. But um, I was very uh, liberal and very not into religion at all. And then um, I went to Duke University when I was older, and then I decided to transfer to a more liberal college, very hippie-like. And um, I met a boy there. And um, eventually uh, I graduated, and he went abroad to, uh, to Europe. And the next thing I know, I get a letter from him, a 13-page letter saying that he's studying Judaism, Yiddishkeit, um, in Israel. And it sounded like he, you know, I didn't know what he was talking about, because when I was growing up near Muncie, I always looked at the Jews in Muncie who were religious as like, well, they're one kind of Jew, I'm another, and the paths never cross. And I was like afraid. I was literally afraid of religious Jews. That was my experience. And so I got this 13-page letter, went to a rabbi, just looked up rabbi in the yellow pages. I was living in Berkeley, California at the time, you know, continuing my hippie liberal lifestyle. And the rabbi said to me, your boyfriend's in a cult and you better go get him out. And so that was the beginning of a very interesting journey. Um, and uh, so that was that was part of my you know, Judaism journey, and it was a lot of twists and turns and, uh, and included even a prophecy from the Rebbe. So I, it's a fun book to read. I, I wanted to bring a lot of simcha and joy to people and lightness because sometimes Jewish books can be very heavy. Um, and so my book brings humor mm -hmm. and because we need to go out of Gullis with simcha. So yeah, bring simcha yeah. and happy endings and just a lot of humor in the book. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm happy you talked about it because I'm sure it's going to play its role in in the rest of the of the rest of the interview. Yeah, sure. So I'd just like for, love for people to know that as you share your story. Sure, sure. Um, and I just want to say also that the reason why I wrote the book is because I feel like there is like a shlichus again of bringing Geula Mashiach, which will bring healing to everyone, that we never have to deal with these kind of strange diseases and everything. So that's Especially, I was in Crown Heights during the 90s, and you know, Crown Heights was on fire, Mashiach, Geula, everything. So that's, that's continued for me, even in my journey in Chicago, and that was my intention for writing the book as well. And I wrote it for Jews, non-Jews, affiliated Jews, non-affiliated, like it just doesn't matter. And my editors were non-Jewish, and so, and it even won a book award from a non-Jewish um, authors association. And so... Because my whole intention is to bring Gaul and Mashiach. And that was, I was writing it while my son was sick. And it was like, it was so hard because I was saying, Hashem, I'm on a shlichus here. I'm doing this for you, for the world. And meanwhile, in many areas of my life, it was falling apart because mm -hmm. I was so frightened for my son's health. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Perhaps not now, but maybe later on, I'd love to hear your understanding of Mashiach and Gula, mainly because I think most people are experiencing or being introduced to the commercialized version of Gula and Mashiach and the, the branded one. Okay. And not the personalized one. Right. And there is and, a personalized And one. there's a personalized one. And um, and sometimes the the possibilities and the helpfulness of our Mashiach education and Gula education sure. uh, gets lost. I know that for me personally, and I know there's quite a few people that are close to me that, that are not, they're not cuckoo. 
They're not not in touch with reality. Mm -hmm. I look forward to that. And another thing that I wanted to share. So the book is called God Said What? Hashtag My Orthodox Life. And I guess that question of God said what continues in all our lives when we're Torah yidden and we we you know keep learning Torah and it gets deeper and deeper in terms of like especially when we have challenges of like what does God want from me you know it's not just the simple of keep Shabbos send your kids to this kind of school it's nothing like that so Geul and Mashiach is a very internal journey of humbling ourselves and getting out of the limiting beliefs in our minds about our ourselves, the world, and Torah also. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Look for, <laughs> looking forward to, to hearing how you've done that for yourself. Okay. Um, so now, yeah, please bring us into, you know, your son is uh, is, is the good, easy boy. <laughs> He's Yeah, he was the one that I would, even as a baby, I would just put down to play and he would fall asleep. I mean, it was just, he, you know, a very sweet, sweet boy. Still is, thank God, he's amazing. So um, what happened was we decided to, he had, you know, been like two years at one yeshiva and we, and it was time for him to, you know, kind of go to another yeshiva. These were out of town yeshivas. And so we switched him to another yeshiva, which he wanted to go. His brothers had gone. But um, I think that there was trauma there because of the pressure of um, a chinuch that I don't agree with in terms of putting pressure on children and kanasim and get to class at this time, and then even boring Torah classes, which is such a shame when children love to learn, but if you're going to teach it in a way that's not inspiring or anything, then, you know, it's they're going to fall asleep. So anyway, it was, I feel that there was some trauma there that kicked off his immune system in a way that triggered this disease. And so um, that, that, that was, that was difficult. And so I, and I kept calling the school and speaking to people there, like, can you just lighten up? Like, he's not a New Yorker. He's a, you know, a Chicago and Midwest, you know, you don't have to be tough. And he was going to classes, but if he was like a minute later, he was playing basketball during one break, it was just shtusim. And, um, and then he started to sound a little like interesting on the phone. He started to sound a little OCD. He started to sound just something seemed off. And, um, you know, we did take him out of that school and put him back in the school that he was in before. So I thought that would just fix everything. But then he's just he just started to go downhill from there with anxiety, more anxiety, some OCD, um, some depression. I could hear it in his voice. And I would talk to him, you know, for hours and, you know, use my coaching tools, my healing tools, whatever. But something just wasn't right. And he knew something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then people would tell him, you know, learn this, Tanya, learn that, you know, to feel better, to this. Nothing fixed it. Torah didn't fix it. The Torah learning didn't fix it. And eventually he just sounded so down. He was actually in Crown Heights during one of the breaks, you know, that the kids come to Crown Heights for it. And he just sounded so flat. And, and I said, I have to bring him home. So we brought him home, and then that started the uh, the search for what's going on. So of course, you know, you go to I I love natural, so I go to natural people, and I went to a, psych a psychiatrist as well, and it looked like anxiety, it looked like depression. Um, he didn't even know what it was, and so we we kept going that path. So one thing is is that with pandas, 
first of all, it's not well known. Second of all, not a lot of some people don't, some doctors or professionals don't believe in it. Um, but I happened to have a client who once had said that her son was completely normal and healthy. And then one day he went to school and said, I don't want to go back to school anymore. Everybody's looking at me like a little paranoia. And, and so, of course, it seemed to her like go to a psychiatrist. So she went to a psychiatrist. But eventually when she spoke to her regular doctor, it was Dr. Shulman, who's retired now, but a pandas expert, um, the doc Dr. Shulman said, you know, it sounds like your son might have pandas. And then it's an autoimmune disease and it's where strep bacteria goes, crosses the blood brain barrier and causes inflammation of the brain and all kinds of bizarre symptoms. And even though my son, I don't even remember him having strep, that's the thing. It doesn't even have to be like that. But any psychiatrist that anyone goes to, especially for a child who's suffering from anxiety and depression, there's a blood test that anyone can take and they can tell what the, um, the strep titers are in the blood. And if it's elevated, then you might want to go for further testing or it's a different treatment than regular anxiety and depression from just life. And so um, after trying all these different, you know, meds in terms of anxiety and depression and watching my son, his Yiddishkeit was going downhill. Uh, his, he was not feeling well. And no matter what we were trying in therapists, it just wasn't working. So I finally said to the psychiatrist, can we test for pandas and can we test for Lyme? So the Lyme test showed negative because the superficial tests for Lyme don't pick up certain things in the blood. But the PANDAS test did show an elevated um, strep titer in the blood. So the psychiatrist said, looks like your son has PANDAS. And so go to an immunologist or, you know, a different, it's a different treatment than antidepressant or anti-anxiety. So that started a different journey. But first it seemed so exciting. It's like, okay, we'll find someone. We had even a specialist in, in uh, Illinois that we went to. Um, and so that's a different journey. That's a journey of antibiotics, um, tonsillectomies, you know, remove the source of the issue, um, something called IVIGs. And that was a tough path. IVIGs are something to, you know, do something with the immune system. They're very, very expensive. And if you don't get them covered by insurance, it's like over $10,000 because it's, it's a certain plasma treatment that uh, switches something with the immune system. So anyway, um, my son was meanwhile, you know, saying that he has ticks. I didn't really see any ticks, but he felt them. Um, some other issues of pandas is, you know, anger issues. And again, he's a soft kid, so I didn't see his anger so much, but he felt it inside a certain anger, a certain rage. There's the depression, anxiety. He would see mold on all his food. There's a paranoia, even to the point where, and I was talking to a panda specialist, and I said, you know, he... When he goes outside in the backyard, he, he feels like the windows of the houses are staring at him. I said, what is that? And she said, oh, yeah, that's what some kids, you know, complain about. So pandas has these very strange symptoms that don't make sense. OCD, um, he could not sleep. He would run around the house until 2 a.m. Um, his mind was his enemy, and he knew it. And he so he knew he was rational, so it wasn't like schizophrenia where they have lost their mind. He actually was aware that he was seeing like knives and killings and just very strange symptoms. Mm -hmm.
So for, for somebody who's not familiar with all the different things, I know most people are familiar when you say anxiety, what is anxiety? And when you say depression, what is that? And OCD, we've actually had podcasts on all those different subjects. But if you can talk a little bit more on what you were witnessing, like what were you seeing? Like if somebody never heard of anxiety, depression, OCD, or any or, or intrusive thoughts or any of these things, so... He gave some examples of seeing mold and seeing the, and him saying that the windows are are looking at. Yeah, so it wasn't are there like, other. Yeah. Are there any other ways that you can describe what what his experience was like? What he was telling you? Yeah, it was um, it was frightening because I would see him and he looked like my regular son, except you know some of the the Yiddish kite stuff was, you know, he was struggling with and. Um, and that, thank God, a friend told me about twisted parenting, and that also saved his life and my life. Because when a child, when you, you know, raise a child in a certain path, especially as a balas chuva, you're so excited to, wow, I'm going to raise a from family. And when they start, you know, kind of not wanting to wear tzitzis or put tefillin on or something like that, and um, or be in yeshiva again, I had taken him out of yeshiva because I just felt his mental health was was at risk. Um, you want to do boundaries. That's what everybody says. Do boundaries, set rules, all this kind of stuff. And it doesn't work and it, it hurts our children. So thank God a, a person had told me about Twisted Parenting and I was watching Avi Fishoff videos and Shimon Russell videos and learning. And then also I got a little coaching because I couldn't understand the paradigm shift of, of not doing boundaries. But it's all about pure acceptance, love, and taking the pressure and expectations off because these kids are kids in pain. And so that, thank God, was life-saving. What I, so that I did that. But what I was seeing was my son kind of go downhill. Um, he wasn't functioning well and wanting to experiment with things that he never had been even curious about. And um, talking to me. It was more like for what he was experiencing on the inside that he would share with me. I mean, I know he wasn't sleeping, but I didn't, um, I just, it was more what he was saying, mommy, I'm seeing this, mommy, I'm seeing that in my mind, mommy, is there mold on this? Um, you know, I can't go outside, it, those kind of things. And so, yeah, that's what I saw. That was my experience. And it was horrifying and terrifying and you know, I had somatic tools to try to help regulate my nervous system, gratitude practices that I would practice. Like I, I wake up in the morning and have like a whiteboard by my bed that, and I have like a colored marker. And sometimes all I could write down, I would write down, never take anything for granted. That's my gratitude practice. And sometimes I could only write down that my son is alive today because I didn't know if he was going to make it. He was sometime would tell me his suicidal thoughts. And I knew and he knew that going to a psych ward wouldn't help him, but he couldn't handle his brain. It was not a fun journey at all. And again, we went to therapists and um, the psychiatrist was involved. And then we started going to the immunologist. No therapy help. No OCD therapy help. Nothing because it's something physical in the body. It's not something that they can even control with their mind. That was really not helpful. So what did help? I uh, worked with a homeopath. That was very helpful because they look at, they talk, they, you know, the homeopath would speak to my son and just come up with different remedies. And she had treated autoimmune stuff and pandas before. 
So that was very helpful. And I was like giving him little drops of this and little pellets of that. I was davening a lot. How did you know it was helpful? Well, I believed it was helpful. Let's put it that way. I didn't necessarily see it helping, you know, and he wasn't necessarily telling me he was getting better. But this is my belief in terms of what was helping in his body. Um, I had a pandas expert that um, is a consultant. So she's like my, she was my earth angel. You know, her name is Wendy Narara, and I'm happy to share that information because she knows all the doctors, all the treatments. She's had children under her care, her, her own kids who have had pandas. So it was like Hashem was sending me people to hold my hand on the journey. I did, uh, we tried the antibiotics. One of the things is, is antibiotic treatment, which also causes other issues that I only realized later on, but I wanted to stop any of the hallucinations, which were very frightening. Again, to try to stop the symptoms, it's like long-term antibiotics, but that also destroys gut health, and that's one of the healing things. So even when... So even, the gut is really what would help. Yes. So if you're weak in the gut, it can't heal. Right. So when we'll get to the gut health, because, but my son was not in this, like whenever we would go to the immunologist or someone and they would say, you know, let's, let's stop eating this and start eating this. And they would talk to him about gut health. He couldn't, he couldn't hear it. He was in such despair. He'd already been feeling sick for at least a year and a half. And, you know, there's only so much a person can take and try and diet he couldn't. Plus he was on the antibiotics that I think were making him feel like sick and it was like low dose but like he didn't want to eat anything like he ate garbanzo beans from a can for like that would be it for like a like a year and a half like his body couldn't handle things it was nauseous probably from the antibiotics but then i was afraid to stop the antibiotics because then i didn't know what the symptoms that would come out so we got one ivig thank god um, to kick, he did get a tonsillectomy. That's also sometimes people, kids heal from that. That didn't do much of anything. So we did the IVIG. Which What's is, a tonsillectomy? Tonsillectomy, they remove the tonsils. Got it. Because that could be a source of the, the strep, even though, again, the kid's not getting sore throats sometimes, you know, but it could be a source of the bacteria crossing into the brain blood system. Anyway, so we did mm -hmm. that. And then, uh, the IVIG. That, so that was, you know, we did that and that was hard for him to heal from, but he also said that he was feeling a little bit better. So he started to feel a little bit better. And then we decided to do a second IVIG. Again, it's like a two-day plasma treatment on IV. And again, the effects for him afterwards, he's very sensitive. So that was very hard, but he did eventually get his brain function back enough that he started to Google certain symptoms he was having. And then he came across um, someone named Dr. Bakker, a naturopath in New Zealand, and tons and tons of videos online about autoimmune um, things. And then my son, I thought it was OC, part of the OCD, so I like, because he was like, Dr. Bakker, Dr. Bakker. All he could talk about was Dr. Bakker and what Dr. Bakker said, and he's ordering these supplements, you know, candida this, candida that. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this just another OCT thing? And so I was scared. But again, I, I thank God I did speak to, I did have people I was speaking to, like some intuitive healers and everything like that. I'm just like, okay, I don't know what this is. Anyway, so we did go on that path. And again, you know, with the twisted parenting kind of approach, it's like, honey, what can I do for you? You know, totally showing up for him. 
Can you and, say more about the twisted parenting? Yes. I imagine that it played its role into so many areas of your your relationship and and, and how you handled situations. Yeah. Like how so, do you navigate that? On one hand, you have your son's health is at huge risk, uh, including suicidal uh, ideation that he's sharing with you. Um, and on the other hand, so um, so it should it should technically trigger your fear, and what would happen naturally is for you to instinctively want to control more, mm-hmm. and but you can't control. Right. So so yeah, if you can just share a little bit about that. Sure. So I was watching twisted parenting videos. I had gotten a little um, coaching as well from someone who, you know, had was very big in twisted parenting. And again, the, the, the paradigm shift is that your child, you raise your child with Yiddishkeit, they know everything by the time they're 11 or 13. And if they stop doing things in Yiddishkeit, it's not because they don't know. It's because they're choosing not to do it. So you don't have to be their policewoman anymore. They're policemen. So, um, or their teacher, technically. Yeah, Meaning you don't you just, have to give them information. You don't have to give them information. Like, shouldn't you be wearing yarmulke or putting your tefillin on? And you don't have to um, be their police person or you should not be their police person. They know what to do and they're choosing not to for a particular reason. Sometimes it's trauma. Um, and that's something that Avi speaks about a lot and Shimon Russell speaks about a lot. And sometimes it's it's trauma or there's something going on inside them. And and a lot of times they've been harmed by someone with a yamako or with a shaitel. And that's why the chinuch system, we've got to get Twisted Parenting and Shimon Russell in there because, you know, teachers need to, like, be kind and make learning about Judaism a positive experience because otherwise kids are late. We see it. We see what's happening. So I was not under Avi's, you know, um, I was not part of the group. I was not part of the group yet, but I was just watching the videos and knowing what I needed to do. So one of the things that helped my son tremendously was medical marijuana. So um, I got medical marijuana for him, and I literally spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on marijuana for him because the only thing to keep him sane was to sit in his room and be on his phone watching all kinds of videos. This was be this was like before the second this was before the second IVIG. This was before the Dr. Bacher stuff. But it was and even when we started Dr. Bacher, but for about two years, it was marijuana from morning till two AM in the you know, from nine AM in the morning or whenever he woke up to two AM in the morning consistently with just watching videos all day long, whatever he was watching, um, because that kept him sane. He was going insane in his mind, and the only thing that kept him sane was smoking pot, being high, and uh, and just keeping his mind focused on whatever was on his phone. Got it. So as soon so, as you say that, I'm just imagining somebody who who doesn't know the twisted parenting perspective and and thinks that marijuana is bad. So can can you just speak a little bit to what you needed to learn in order to be willing to do that? Yeah, sure. So it's interesting because Hashem humbles people. And I was very humbled because I grew up, I grew up 10 years younger than one of my sisters and she was a big pothead in my family. So, <laughs> so I hated pot. I was 10 years younger. I was this little kid and 
she always was smoking pot and I always hated the smell and I hated pot and I was just like, no one needs to do that anyway. So I even had like a thing like against marijuana. And then here it was for my son, you know, I guess, I guess he had tried it or something and he decided this is what he needed. And I knew for his health that better for me to get it from medical, you know, it's illegal in Illinois than from, you know, anyone on the street. So, um, yeah, so that was part of Hashem's humbling is that Hashem is the healer. And if Hashem wants to humble through, uh, heal through a surgery, it's through surgery, through antibiotics, through IVIGs, through therapy, or sometimes through drugs or marijuana. And so I had to just humble myself and just one of the things that Abi talks about is that these kids are in pain from either a trauma or from whatever else is going on in their life. And they need unconditional acceptance and love and a feeling of worthiness um, with their parents and a closeness with their parents. We need to be their safe space. And so that means when a child is going through this, again, their brain's on fire. They are not feeling well. They're not doing Yiddishkeit because Yiddishkeit is for healthy people. It's not for, for kids who are in terrible, terrible pain. So it was a humbling for me and it was just Basically, yes, yes, whatever you need, whatever you need. And I was just always at that, you know, marijuana place, picking up whatever my son needed to save his life because you've got to save their life in order for them to heal. And was there ever, like, was this this perspective ever challenging for you guys financially? Yes, my husband and I. If, if it's okay to ask that, because I know, <laughs> I know that this is this is an approach that um, you know I've also, I've taken I've I've shown up to to Avi's training mm -hmm. at the time it was incredibly helpful and then I I thought okay hey I would love to implement this and that but it's like how do you like the things that he proposes that parents do with their kids okay so disclaimer is is that he only accepts and uh, guides people who are in really, really life-threatening situations. Yeah, stage four, he calls it. He calls it stage four. So I was like, okay, my kid's not in stage four, but I really want to do this thing, and I know it will be good for them. But man, it's a lot of money. Like, how do I do that? Yeah, So with the and I wasn't in Avi's program yet. Now, now I'm part of Twisted Parenting. Now I'm in his program, Accepted, and everything like that. And they have a wonder, he has a wonderful thing that he, he raises money for something called these gift bombs and trip bombs because one thing that you do need to do with the children is provide a lot of fun, um, a lot of lightness. And so that's part of the gift bombing, which is, again, I love you, I accept you, and everything like that. What happens is he gives money from that fund to the parents to fund their trips with the children and that kind of thing. A lot of my time while I was in this healing journey was before that. So, yeah, we just had to fork out the money. We just had to pay the hundreds and thousands of dollars for for whatever we were doing. And yeah, and then thank God I had some marriage training because, again, I could see how Hashem prepared me ahead of time with my wonderful skills so I could use them on myself to keep myself sane, my nervous system as regulated as possible with the somatic healing and also a way to get my anger out towards what I was going through with my son, not angry at my son, but Hashem, how could you be doing this? Um, and then also marriage skills in terms of how my husband and I can navigate this when he, his opinion was different than mine, you know. But he also 
he was in, you know, we would watch the Twisted Parenting videos and we had friends who were interested in parenting. And so he also like knew this path of just acceptance and whatever my son needed. We we're both very invested, invested in saving his life, whatever it took. So that was just yes, yes, and more yes. Yeah. But it, it is challenging. But again, you need to do anything we can to save a child's life and we will do that and it can be expensive but yeah and you can feel like you're throwing money out the window but you're not that's where Hashem wants you to send you know spend your money my son would read part of the OCD it was great because he would re he would research all this different kind of marijuana this is kind this kind this will help with this and this will help with this and then I go to the place to get it for him and they would think I'm buying it for myself you know I'd bring it home and then you know oh I don't like that one and I'd go back and get another one and it just felt like money going out the window but it's Hashem's money and again that one goal of keeping my son sane and healthy on this healing journey so and thank God again for Twisted Parenting and Avi Fishoff and Shimon Russell for just like just love your kid and especially when they're a kid in pain Forget about the Yiddishkeit, forget about the tefillin, let them, if they, if they were willing to come to the Shabbos table, wonderful. If they cook on Shabbos, it's fine. Like their relationship with Hashem is between them and Hashem. And why Hashem takes children who are totally on the path. I mean, my son had even studied Safras, like he could write mezuzahs, you know. And then again, to go through the grief of what you thought for your son and what your son wanted, my son would cry to me and say, Mommy, I wanted, I like Yiddishkeit, but I can't do it anymore, you know? And it's like, where is God? Where is the Rebbe? I wrote the Rebbe. Like, my son would say that. So, so, so painful. It was like a knife to my heart. And so who am I to say, well, learn this or put that yarmulke on when that's going to just hurt him? Yiddishkeit becomes painful. He would say that. It hurts me to put a yarmulke on. And for kids in pain, it hurts them, you know. And then Abi shows video after video after video of what this rabbi says and this rebbe says. And it's just, it's not about the Yiddishkeit. It's about love and connection and being there a thousand percent for your child. I love you. Yamaka, no yamaka, I don't care. Yeah. And that saves lives. Yeah. I, in the way you describe it, you're, you say that, you know, you got to put Yiddishkeit aside. I wonder if, if you can also say that this is Yiddishkeit. Mm, yes, even more importantly, it is Yiddishkeit. Yeah, I guess the the pieces of Yiddishkeit that I thought like were the important. Frumkeit and the frumkeit, the yarmulkes, the tzitzis, but really, especially when you learn with Avi and you learn Shimon Russell stuff, you realize that Yiddishkeit is so much deeper than that. And that's like a huge paradigm shift. And that's what's so humbling. Again, it's not about, you know, do this and do that. It's not. It's about that love and connection, you know. And, um, you know, one time I think Avi was saying, was asking like a certain Rav about something about a girl who like, can you buy her? Like she's dating a non-Jewish you know, non guy or something like that. Um, and the Rav said to him, and it was so powerful, it stayed in my mind. The Rav said to him, if that boy looks at that in those girls' eyes, and she sees more love there than she sees from her own parents, from her own mother and father, she's that's where she's going to go. So we need to look at our children with so much love and treat them with so much love that they feel safe with us and that we are, we're their best friends. They're not our best friends. We don't tell them things going on in our life, you know, 
we are their safe haven and they stay home with us instead of running into the streets or being homeless or being kicked out. Um, and the teachers need to be that as well. The teachers need to be loving and kind and not harmful with, and you're going to get this punishment or you're going to do this or you're not doing that right. Or it's just, you know, Yiddishkeit is so much deeper than that, as you said, that this is real Yiddishkeit. And for me as a Baal Shuva, that was shocking because I never knew that. I thought, you know, tell your kid to do this and to dive in this way and to do that. That to me was, I thought, Yiddishkeit. So this is like a whole new, well, I guess God, what does God say? <laughs> like God wants something different. It's so much deeper and it is Yiddishkeit, that kind of love. Thank you for bringing that up. It's yeah. such an important point. So, yeah, I'm so happy that you, you clarified that because to go through the ordeal that you just described without having that, I can barely imagine how much pain and suffering and arguments and angst in the relationships yeah. that can happen and can only make it worse. Yeah, it would spiral the kid down for sure. Oh, yeah, he probably would have been out on the street. I'm very thankful that Hashem said, okay, I will give you a remedy now. And you will have to do a paradigm shift to be in this remedy. And again, that humbling of just like, I'm not supposed to make boundaries with my 15-year-old and tell him to do this and do that. And like even the thought, like my husband once thought, like maybe we should ask him to come to the Shabbos table with a yarmulke on. But nope, not according to Twisted Parenting. Yiddishkeit hurt these kids in pain. So you just love them. Oh, you're here. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Shabbos table, and, and then all, and and then all my kids are also into it too because they love their brother. You know what I mean? So it's like it's good. It's good for them too. They just see that mommy and tati will love us through anything. Right, so, and I'm I'm not sure if today is the right time to talk about it, but um, I won't fight it if it comes up. And that is the the age old question that anybody who does twisted parenting gets, and that is, uh, what about the other kids? Yeah. Yeah, so for the other like they kids, say, they're yeah. getting all the. Why could he smoke pot, and mm -hmm. I, and I can't even, so and so, whatever. Yeah, and what Avi emphasizes <clears throat> is that a kid who's not in pain doesn't really want to smoke pot. <laughs> if you're having, if your family and your house is a place of safety, love, commitment to each other, and fun, because Yiddishkeit also needs to be fun, and you bring that into your house, the kids don't want other things and a healthy kid doesn't want pot like their brother's doing because their brother's miserable anyway so why do they want to do that but they feel like look how you know mommy and tati are treating our like again so much love so much acceptance so much that that's what they want they want to feel that and so your house becomes this safe place this loving place this kind place this compassionate place, I think one of the most important things about Twisted Parenting, it's pure compassion. And I feel like with Yiddishkeit, I think what happened with like, it's gone off the rails in terms of judgment, judgment, judgment. What is that person wearing? Are they wearing a shaitel or a techel outside? How long is their skirt? How short is their skirt? And, and the kids feel that, that hypocrisy when really it's about incredible Yiddishkeit is about incredible compassion, and that's what, you know, Avi's pumping into the world and Shimon Russell's pumping into the world is compassion. And so the kids feel that in the home, compassion and love. And then again, you're trying to have more fun and gift giving and, 
you know, go on a trip if you can. My son didn't like going out of the house because of that paranoia, so we didn't do so many trips. But, um, and the kids feel that and they see that and they love that there's no fighting, there's no conflict. There's no conflict. You're not telling your son to do something he doesn't want to do and that causes him pain. They see that. They see that compassion. They have very compassionate hearts. It's like you're like a team. And that's definitely Yiddishkeit. That really is what Hashem wants. And that really is probably a healing for the world. And a, that's the Geula we talk about. You know, and we know, especially as Lubavitchers, you know, oh, that person's, you know, not yet from, so I'm going to be super kind to them and invite them for meals. But then when it comes to our own kids, it's kind of like, and again, we have to, you know, we have grief from, especially as Baal Tshuva's, like we think, this is the path. And then it's like Hashem changes things and takes your kid who's on the path off the path, not even a choice of their own because it's some trauma or autoimmune disease, you know. Um, and that I can't figure out with my head, but it's, I'm just humbled. I have no idea what Hashem wants, but I know what I need to do. And so you kind of like stick in your lane. What's my job here? My job is to buy marijuana for my kid who needs to sit in his room and stay sane until he's until Hashem decides to heal him, you know. So that's my job. I'll stick with my job. My job is to have fun and compassion and be a safe place. Okay, that's what I'll do. So if we can just go back, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that, that, that was like a year and a half or two years, right? He was sick in, around when he was 15. He's 21 now. So it was at least a four-year, five-year journey. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, now, you shared that, okay, so he was in yeshiva. You took him out of there. You brought him close to home. Brought him home. That didn't, yeah. That, oh, you brought him home, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he was, yeah, so he was in, so, again, it kind of started when he went to a, a different yeshiva than he had been in before, uh, just because it was time to move on to a different yeshiva. And, uh, again, I feel like, the, tra the trauma there triggered his symptoms. You know, I don't know if this was latent in his body, because again, we should get to the, the Dr. Bakker, which is the naturopath, which is healing the gut. And that's the path that my son has gone on. Um, so, you know, he event, but again, we put him back in the old yeshiva, which should have been like perfect for him and everything should have healed, but it didn't. He just kept going downhill. And then when he sounded very flat and very depressed and just wasn't feeling good, that's when we brought him home. And that's when we did all the, the physical treatments and the therapies and everything. And he was, he was willing to try all these different things? Oh, yeah. He was desperate, desperate, desperate. He wanted to live. He didn't feel good. <clears throat> his, he knew his mind was going crazy and he didn't know why. But he knew he wasn't thinking right. He knew he wasn't seeing right. And he couldn't stop it. So... He was desperate to live. So he's a kid of tremendous discipline and determination and everything else. So when, again, after that second IVIG and he got his brain back better, but he still felt very physically ill, and again, he was still on antibiotics, that's when he you know, learned about this stuff from Dr. Bakker with you know, autoimmune diseases and started looking. And we also went to Lyme, a Lyme doctor too before that. So that's one piece too. Again, um, bacteria in the blood. And so the, the first Lyme test, the superficial Lyme test just said negative. But the immunologist had us do um, 
a deeper test and so did the Lyme doctor because there are certain bands on the blood. So um, anyway, and it just showed certain bacteria from Lyme. So we start, we went to, you know, a Lyme doctor in Chicago and she was great, you know, again, supplements and talking to him about diet and, um, and different antibiotics or whatever, and some natural stuff, all good. Um, but when he got into this Dr. Bakker, he said, I'm going off of the antibiotics <clears throat> and he did stool samples. And what was interesting with the stool samples, because you, the gut health is what the focus became was that he could tell he had all this bad bacteria in his gut and no good bacteria. And I guess what happens in the gut, it, it controls everything, the immune system and serotonin levels and everything. So it can control a lot of what's going on in the brain. And Dr. Bakker has all these videos and you know a team of people that work. He doesn't treat people, but my son was just watching him and learning. It was almost like he was getting a PhD in his health. So then he started whatever protocol he started. Um, and, and that's it. That's been part of the healing journey. And that's really been amazing. And that's, I think, really what has, um, he would say it was the problem the whole time. Like if you were to talk to him about pandas, he would say it was all about the gut, you know, and he wished that he had gone that direction at first. Um, but then when we were in the midst of all the other treatments, then he didn't have enough brain power or physical health to even try to change his diet. But now he would say it's all gut health. If he talks to anyone, it's all gut health. And then then after being on certain supplements and killing like the candida and, you know, that kind of you thing. You want to share just, yeah. I, I, I for sure have no idea about like a lot of the terms that you're sharing. Mm. So if you can just explain, explain it a little bit, like. First of all, what is candida? Okay, and what does it mean? <laughs> what did he What did he do to 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 improve his gut health? Okay, so he um so he started eating certain foods and getting off certain foods. Um, wow, it's so complicated. Uh, it would be hard to describe. It was um, more like, what did he get off of? He didn't even get off of sugar so much or wheat. He it, he would be great to do an interview with because he could you know say everything. But mm -hmm. uh, the supplements that he was taking was aimed specifically at killing certain bacteria in the gut that causes problems. Mm -hmm. And again, if someone does a stool test, they can tell they have this bacteria, that bacteria. This is the good kind. This is the bad kind. This is you know in charge of this. This is in charge of that. And then he was taking um, like. A certain probiotics from these supplements that would, you know, increase the good bacteria. Um, candida is, you know, when people have, you know, stuff on their tongue or dandruff, or it's again, um, itching certain places. It, it just shows up in the body, but it's really the body trying to, I guess, trying to expel something, but it's, it's coming from the gut. So now he's along this path and he's, you know, now he's gotten off of all sugar um, and he, you know, eats certain yogurts and certain sourdough breads and a lot of miso and soups and chicken and some meat. Um, he took himself off eggs, but it's just, again, from his watching these videos and learning the routine and, you know, the book also from Dr. Bakker, but Maybe in any naturopath could do this. I don't know. This is the one that he just really connected to. Um, and this 
Dr. Bakker shares all of it online. And so that's what my son like just was learning and changing his diet. And what were the first signs of um, evidence that you saw like, okay, this he's getting better? Oh, his mind. So he stopped feeling paranoid, stopped feeling as anxious. He actually even got a job like he stopped smoking marijuana um, and got a job working at a bookstore, a Jewish bookstore around the corner. He's just like, I'm going to go get a job. <laughs> so he did, and he was able to do it. And it was a little bit of a stressful job. He even started during Rosh Hashanah time, and he was able to do it. So his anxiety went away. Um, his paranoia went away. What else were there? There was so many. He had no ticks, no rage. Um, uh, whatever the things that I said, um, sleeping is fantastic. You know, he sleeps great. Um, yeah, no hallucinations, no anything. Like he's completely normal. He could he could learn. He couldn't learn for a long time. And one of the things even that immunologist would test him with is she would have him draw a clock because also like I guess the way the brain works is that if the kids would put the numbers in weird places, you know, I always thought that was strange, but that's also, I guess, a panda's symptom. Um, but, you know, he can think. He has his brain back, so he can study, he can concentrate, he can learn. He takes care of himself. What's that, what's that been like for you once he starts Once he starts seeing That's better? Gula. Want us to know what Gula is when your kid feels good? <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, I'm very, very, very grateful that, that he is who he is and... Um, that he's taking care of his health in such a way that he's so disciplined. And again, mommy, I, I, I need this from the store, that from the store. Yes, yes, yes. You know, um, these vegetables, you know, you, you know, he eats a lot of vegetables, you know, whatever it is that he wants, we'll, we say yes to and we get. Um, and he's just very disciplined in his approach and, you know, totally off of sugar. Now, um, a lot of kasha he makes, buckwheat, and just whatever feeds his system and to feel better. And all these supplements, you know, we buy all the supplements, he takes them religious, religiously. And um, yeah, we're just so happy with him. And one of the things that I want to say that, you know, as a coach, I had learned something called the cycle of change from Martha Beck, where it is um, a, like, um, um, what is it, a caterpillar when it wants to, when it's, I guess it, when Hashem decides that it's going to become a butterfly, it goes into its cocoon and that's called, you know, square one. And square one is where in the cocoon, it's like bug soup. The cells, you know, become shapeless. If you were to cut open a cocoon, it's completely mushy. There's no caterpillar there and there's no butterfly. And that's called square one. And that's a time, that's when something like happens in someone's life, like a cataclysmic event uh, or some kind of huge change. It could be someone gets married or it could be they get divorced or it could be what happened with my son. It's what happened October 7th for the Jewish nation. It's like, what? You know, and it throws us into this bug soup where we have no identity. And it's just a time of accepting our feelings, going through this grieving process and living life sometimes one minute at a time. And so this thing with my son was a huge bug soup. What I thought the world was like, even the world of Yiddishkeit was like, went through this huge paradigm shift. And then the go, we go into square two, which is when this um, caterpillar, this bug soup starts, the cells start transforming into a butterfly. 
um, but it's still hidden and it's still in the cocoon. Um, and that's a time when someone can start accessing like their dreams and their goals and like forming a new identity. Like who am I now that I've gone through this event? And then square three is when that butterfly starts emerging from the cocoon and the liquid has to come off, like it has to squeeze through. It's a lot of effort and goes into the real world. So it's kind of like now that I'm thinking of this new identity, how would I bring this new identity into the world? And um, and then it's kind of like the mantra of square three is this is a lot harder than I thought, you know, mm-hmm. because... Um, because, you know, going into the real world with our dreams and ideas, I know with my book, like, okay, now I'm ready to publish my book and who's going to publish my book and sending it off to all these agents. And, you know, and it's like it, it, what happens with square three when you try to bring something into the real world is it sends you back to square one sometimes. And that's a place of limiting beliefs. Like, what did I think it would look like and what is the reality, you know? And then square four is full flight when like someone's health is good or that area of their life, you know, they've kind of settled into a little bit before another square one happens. But it's very fascinating because, um, you know, so my son is definitely in like square three and square four, thank God. Um, But in terms of Gullis and Gaula, it's like the Rebbe had in his imagination what the world would look like when with Gaula. And so it goes from the realm of the imagination, the not seen, and then the Rebbe kept bringing it into us into square three, like the tefillin campaign, this campaign, that campaign, bring our ideas about Gaula and Kabbalah like into the world at large, you know. Um, and then you know, Gaula is, you know, when the butterfly has like full flight, you know. But we just went through like a cataclysmic change for the Jewish people with, you know, big square one with uh, October 7. That's when now we're feeling the feelings and we're in such a bug soup. Who are we? You know, what is our identity? And then our identity will form with square two, which is, you know, the butterfly starts forming, but it's still kind of hidden. And God willing, this will, will lead into Geula and a revealed Mashiach and everything. But it's just a, you know, when we're going through something traumatic and something intense, to recognize that we're bug soup, we don't know our identity, all our limiting beliefs, like the Rebbe says, go out of your Mitzrayim every day. So that's like bug soup. You what's know? that? What's that for you on a daily basis? This going out of my limitations every day. So it's it's having certain expectations or ideas, and then. Um, rewiring them, uh, going into my body to, you know, um, access what, what I'm, what I'm feeling, uh, what are the somatic sensations? Cause emotions are energy in motion. And so they're felt in the body. So if someone criticizes you and your jaw tightens, that's your body speaking to you. It could be anger. You might need boundaries, um, fear. What are you afraid of? Like, um, and that's a drop in the stomach. So the body speaks to us. So for me, it's going, it's feeling my feelings and my emotions, processing them, and then noticing what is my mind saying, and then tapping into my intuition. Um, so this, you know, for me, it's also stepping into gratitude so much, which I practice every day. And 
especially when I'm in twisted parenting training right now again, because Abby has us come back. Um, I mean, I just sit there and I go, oh my gosh, thank God, like Hashem saved my life, my son's life, you know, and calling up my son and saying, you know, we love you so much. You're doing so great, you know. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's just every day just kind of being in the process of noticing what is Hashem's will, what does Hashem want from me with the somatic healing with my clients, with my book, you know, getting my book out there in a bigger way to pump out Hasidus and Geula and Mashiach out into the world as far as the four corners so that we can get out of Gullis, you know? Um, yeah. And then just being a better, how can I be a better mom and a better wife? What are your hopes that somebody will leave this interview with? Like if they're listening to this, sure. what are your, what are your hopes that they'll leave with? So my hopes are, that's a great question, thank you. My hopes are that if someone has a child who is experiencing symptoms of OCD, anxiety, or depression, is to insist on a blood test. And again, not all doctors will do it. Here in Brooklyn, what's, what's nice about Brooklyn is that Dr. Shulman was an expert in pandas, and she's, I think, was in Borough Park, somewhere in Brooklyn. But her nurse has taken over and, you know, knows all the stuff. That would be my hope is that if someone says, well, my kid just suddenly is acting strange or having all these bizarre symptoms or why are they so anxious now? Again, anxiety can be caused by emotions and from, you know, stuff going on in school. It could be that, but get the blood test done for strep titers and see. And if one doctor says, oh, I don't believe in Pandas go to a different one, you know, at least get the figures, the numbers. And then if it is that, then to go on that healing journey. And anyone's welcome to reach out to me if they want to talk about, could it be pandas, not pandas? And I'll just give you the resources that I used. And again, a woman named Wendy Narara, she, she knows all the doctors in all the different areas of the United States and even abroad. So it, it's kind of that process and that people can also get help in terms of maintaining their sanity while a child isn't doing well, because that's important. And then the twisted parenting is to know that your kids are good kids and um, Yiddishkeit is much bigger than just whether they wear a yarmulke, don't wear a yarmulke, whether they want to go to school, don't want to go to school. Um, I'm hoping educators will hear this and know how important it is that, you know, the homework pressure, forget that. It's not all about the learning. It's really about connecting kindly and making Yiddishkeit enjoyable and lovely and delightful and safe for everyone. Is there, is there basis in, in suggesting the possibility that this is what the, this generation needs? What in, is in what? Its entirety? Uh, the twisted parenting, you mean? The, the twisted parenting approach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that we just didn't know this before, that compassion. Like, you always hear, like, oh, you know, kick the kid out of the house. Like, and Avi says that's completely not a Jewish approach. And the Rebbe even, he showed us a video yesterday of the Rebbe saying, like, you didn't don't need that kind of pressure. And this is something, a quote that I'd love to leave everyone with, um, which is just so important, which is where the Rebbe says, today's children do not need to be overly criticized or lectured about their shortcomings. They are their own biggest critics. Instead, they need to hear more about their strengths and incredible potential. So I guess that is the ga'ula that 
we need. And I don't know how Yiddishkeit got off track, especially as a Balastruva. I wish I had learned this before, that you know, Yiddishkeit is not about the rules and the this and that. It's really about fun, love, connection, compassion, and that your home being a safe place for your family and your children and your marriage. And if things are not in that direction, then get the help you need. Moshe, you're a coach, right? I'm a coach. I'm a healer. My husband's a marriage therapist. We have a program together. We work with couples. I mean, get the help you need because your home needs to be a safe haven for your family. We need these this little gaula for the big gaula. And I guess I, you know, I feel like Shem is patching us a little bit because we went into the world of judgment and skirt lengths and all this kind of stuff and people screaming, sneeze, sneeze, sneeze. And it's just like, but the kids are dying inside, you know? To the extent that they'll <laughs> say that kids are dying because of lack of sneeze. Oh, people will say that you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, but like if you want, if, if you want the tragedies to stop happening. You have to be more sneers. But people I know I'm going to get backlash for saying <laughs> people that. People have the... tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> going up to the kid who's not, whose skirt length is different and saying, oh, you got to dress differently. You know, halach is this. It's not going to work because, again, what's going on in the inside? And that's what, you know, Avi talked about even yesterday at the training. What's going on in the inside? You know, the symptom of the, the shorter skirt is because why don't they want to do it? Was it, you know, what happened? What happened in the schools? Why do kids love learning when they're four years old and then by six they don't like school so much or it's not it's not pleasant to learn Torah? What What's going on? I know for me, like as a Baal Shuba, I loved learning when I went to Machon Chana, which is Machon Yehudis now. I loved it. My but... grandmother is Mrs. Gunsberg. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's so nice. I love Mrs. Gondor. I talk about her all in my book. It's so much fun. So she was great. She was our loving door mother. And um, yeah, and it was like, I loved going to classes. Like, give me more, give me more, give me more. But I know one time I, I wanted to learn from Rabbi Mengel, who had survived the Holocaust and spoken up to Mengele and everything. And I went to his class, and this was 30 years ago. I went to his class in base Rifka, and I couldn't hear what he was saying because all the girls were talking. And I was just like, what is this? Like, these are FFB girls. They get to grow up with Torah, and I can't hear what he's saying. I couldn't hear what he was saying. So I don't know. Something needs to be fixed, and Hashem is letting us know big time that we got to get our act together because we're losing too many children. So, um, and I think this is like, in terms of God said what? This is like... This is Torah, the complete compassion. It's not staring at the skirt lengths or screaming about the sneeze. Would that be nice? Of course, it's halacha, but it's not. The methods aren't working. Make your home a beautiful, loving, safe, fun place for your husband, for your family, for your wife. That's where we need to get it together. Yeah, and so that's the inner gullus. We've got to, we've got to get out of these belief systems that aren't working and thinking it's this way when it's not and Hashem is showing us something else. What's the what the work for the parent in regards to their fear? Yeah, I guess I guess it's a form of grief, but I, I, I wonder what your take is on it, especially coming as a Baal's Tshuva. This is, this, you saw the other life and you're like, no, this is the life, right? You see your kid not subscribing. <laughs> what do you do with that anxious fear 
that arises as you witness. As you witness that. Yeah. You, you watch Twisted Parenting videos and you listen to Avi and Shimon Russell. You let go of the gripping terror that your kid is not going to go in the path that you want. And you cave early. You surrender early because we have a remedy. I didn't know this before that we had that remedy, but the remedy is loving your child, having compassion for your child, not forcing, not pressure, you know, and again, making your home safe and loving and kind and compassionate and fun. Like, is the Shabbos table fun? Is there pressure? I mean, not that school has to be fun, but is it enjoyable? Are the teachers good? Are they loving? Are they caring? You said that your wife just started a school. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, you know. Obviously, we need to work through our feelings, and somatic healing is very good for that, you know, to work through the emotions that are coming up and the fears and the anger and the what's going on here, that bug soupy. Um, and at the same time, it's like cave early, surrender early. When I did that paradigm shift of just like, wait, I don't need to do boundaries with him, and I don't need to say no and... um yeah, and you should do this, and why aren't you putting on your tefillin, and where are your titus? Like, that's not my role. And then you just stay in your lane. Okay, what's my job here? My job is to be a loving, kind um, parent to this child. And even, you know, Rabbi Taub will say, it's like, become your child's best friend. You know, not that they're your best friend, but you be their best friend, because otherwise they're going to look for it somewhere else. Rabbi, you know, Taub says that too. And, um, and so stick in my lane. My job is not his Yiddishkeit. My job is to show up as a parent in the best way possible. So, yeah, it's part of that bug soup and limiting beliefs going out the window. And, of course, davening and praying that all our kids, you know, grow up to Torah chup and Maisim Tovim. But if they don't, that's Hashem's thing. I don't know what to say. My mm-hmm. thing is to just love him a lot. Any last things you want to share? Um, no, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity, and I hope that it's helpful to people. And um, yeah, that we just need a healing for our worlds, you know, our inner worlds, our outer world, and that this love and compassion that we're pumping into our families and into each other as well, and that we drop the judgment in Yiddishkeit, we drop the the looks and the separations. One thing about twisted parenting that is so remarkable is that in a room, you have Svardim, Ashkenazi, Litvish, Chabad, Satmar, all together. Like, did we really need our children to fall apart in order for all those um, limitations and judgments to fall away? Because like, we're all in it together trying to save our kids. So again, cave early with You know, if you find yourself being judgmental and critical of other people in your head, Shem doesn't like it. Shem doesn't like it. So there's a lot of compassion that we need right now for ourselves. Self-compassion is very good for regulating the nervous system. That's also a tool to use, you know, to recognize what you're feeling and that it's okay that you're feeling it. Um, And just to have that towards other people as well. And that we should have revealed Geula now. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to close with two things that I'm taking. And one one thing that I'm taking and also um, an invitation. What I'm taking from this is that just as real as your son's 
experience of anxiety and depression and schizophrenia or whatever, OCD and, and Yeah, and like hallucinations. little hallucinations, yeah. That was so real. So is the solution because the solution is so really working. Mm -hmm. And some people look at it as it's out there and it's like it's in the clouds. It's not get practical. Now, this is as just as serious and practical and real as the the symptoms were. And they were real. Oh, yeah. So is the, the medicine that you're talking about. Yeah. Because right now he's he's really well. He's sure. really well and he's at home with us and he's not where he's not working now because now he's just completely focused on again this gut health and really healing himself and he's just he's loved he says i love you mommy like all the time and to my husband as well you're the best parent he says and that's exactly what avi says avi says that these kids who kind of go away from the path of yiddishkeit that you set for them that when you do this approach, this compassionate, loving, accepting approach, they will they will love you. They will take care of you more than anybody of the other kids, you know. And it's so true. He's he says it. I can't. Like you guys are the best. I love you so much. You're the best parents in the world. I mean, wow. Does he know that you were doing this interview? He yeah. I think I told him that. Yeah, I asked him permission if I could do this interview. I'm not using his name. And um, yeah, so he knew that I was going to talk about pandas. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last thing I wanted to invite anybody who's listening, um, I'm not sure how I'll follow through on this, but I'm trusting that we will be able to. There are so many different things that you talked about, doctor names, mm -hmm. coaches, remedies, ideals, and, and, and all these different terms that you've talked about. So I encourage, if anybody's curious about anything specific, to either send us a message mm -hmm. and we'll, we can send it to you. Or if you don't mind saying, is there a way that people... Yeah, the, so my website is miriamrachel.com. And that's um, Miriam and then R-A-C-Q-U-E-L.com. And there's a way to make like a clarity call and to reach out, contact me through my website. So just reach out through there. And then with the clarity call, sometimes there's more business questions, but you can just say, heard you on the, you know, uh, on the interview with Moshe and want to ask you some questions about pandas, you know, oh, then that's, that's not a business call at all, but you could, it's an easy way to just schedule a 20 minute talk with me. And I'm happy to, you know, give over whatever I can. That is incredibly um, generous. Yeah. So that's, so that's what I can do for sure. And then if anyone's interested in the book, it's a fun read, a Goula read. And that's called God Said What? Hashtag My Orthodox Life. It's at Judaica World. It's at Merkastam and on Amazon. And that brings some lightness to being as well. But um, yeah, please feel free to reach out through my website. Was there a second book that you're... I have a second book that I'm in the midst of editing, and that's a somatic healing book for women. Mm -hmm. And that has all my tips and all that kind of stuff. And all my healing mm -hmm. secrets and all that. So I, I hope to get that published in square so square four <laughs> so doing that so yeah god willing on behalf of everybody listening and uh anybody who might not get to you thank you very much thank you and thanks for your families your husband your son supporting you doing this and your husband supporting yeah thank you thank you for listening please share your feedback by emailing us at podcast at 
We hope you'll be back for the next episode of the Neshamas Podcast. This is Moshe Khanim wishing you a healthy and a meaningful day.